over the last couple of years and you know having these really high heat levels that they had never experienced before and what impact that had we had higher heat strokes and etc that's all related to the climate change hey what's up this is Corey Dion Lewis clinical health coach and host of the healthy project podcast now the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review, or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest with me today. Uh, Dr. Shanita Johnson is here to talk to us about global health equity, which I, to me is not talked about enough. It is an important conversation, so I'm super excited to have her here today. Uh, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Yes. Yeah, so before we get into uh, our conversation today, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and, and what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, so I'm a surgeon here in Atlanta. I'm at Morehouse School of Medicine. I'm a bariatric surgeon and general surgeon. I'm also a minimally invasive surgeon. So I do complex procedures through small incisions, most of the time with the use of a surgical robot. I also do weight loss surgery, which allows me to help to reverse diabetes, high blood pressure, the risk of stroke, and many other diseases and give folks another lease on life. So that's what I do here uh, for my work. But I'm also a teacher. I'm the program director for our general surgery residency program. And it's a five-year program, and we graduate three surgeons per year that then go out into the community to provide this life-saving care to our communities. Now, my why. I love, I love what I do as a surgeon. I enjoy being able to give folks a better lease on life and their health. Um, I find it to be such a privilege that I'm able to play a part in giving folks a healthier lease on life. And then to be able to educate others to go out into the community. So every surgeon that I educate is now going to go out and impact thousands of lives. And so it is such rewarding work that I do here and that I have the privilege to do in both education and also direct patient care. I'm sure that it, there's a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but I would love to get what, what you feel like it is because not only are you providing a service and you're doing your part for people to improve their lifestyle, but you're also training that next person to do the same thing. And I feel like there could be a lot of, a lot of pressure on you to make sure they're going out there and doing the best that they can for their community. Yeah, it's a, it is a pressure, but it's five years, you know, and it is, it is five years of doing a lot of surgery, being really immersed in this world. Um, and so we have the time to make sure that we are sending the best possible surgeons out into the world. And one of the things that I find 
really rewarding about being at Morehouse School of Medicine is that focus on health equity. So most of the physicians, if not all of the physicians here, have another interest, not just in perfecting their craft and being the best surgeon possible, but also they have an eye for the community and how they are going to integrate into the community and improve the health of that community. And by improving the health of the community, we improve the wealth of the community and so many other areas. So it's really extra that we get to see. We get to see excellent surgeons with excellent community care also. Yeah, in that health equity piece, I don't feel like I hear a whole lot of that being a foundation of uh, a practitioner's training. So that's really cool that that's kind of woven into the fabric of what you guys are already doing there. We've been doing that for a long time. It's actually the mission here at Morehouse School of Medicine is the creation and advancement of health equity. So that's woven into every student that we teach, public health students, scientists, um, medical doctors, that's all woven in, woven into their curriculum. So it's a big part of what we do. We always have an eye on how we're going to impact the health of our community and make sure that everyone has access to the best possible care. So that's really no. a big part of what we do. Yeah, that's amazing. So Dr. Johnson, help me fill this gap. You go from, you know, this surgery, education, Tell me a little bit about how the jump or even adding global health equity to what you're doing. Can you, how, how is that, how did that go? You know, I think in the pandemic, we realized that the world is a lot smaller than we thought it was. You know, we mm. were watching what was happening in Italy before the pandemic reached the shores of the U.S. What's happening in China? We're all interconnected. And, you know, when we think about health equity here in America, we sure have a lot of work still to be done, um, but we also have a lot of work globally to be done as well. And there are a lot of places without access to healthcare, not access to surgeons, that we need to work on making sure that we can increase that access and increase the health of everybody. You know, so I, from the Bahamas, and when the um, Hurricane Dorian hit in 2019, I actually went to the Bahamas to give medical care. And then I continued to work to bring medical equipment and clinics and additional aid to the Bahamas over the next few months. On the heels of that um, hurricane, six months later, the pandemic hit. And so you really saw again, as I mentioned before, how small the world really was. And I think that really began my movement into the global health space. I've been very involved in the national health equity space, but now really broadening that into the global space and working with partners all over the Caribbean, in Africa, to work on research, clinical care, education in all of these areas of the world. Oh, that's cool. So for you, and definitely, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, when we when we hear about global health equity, the one thing we talk about is climate change. But what it what it sounds like because of that climate change and these hurricanes and these the these natural disasters that are impacting these communities, now there's another challenge because some of these communities don't have access to quality health care or 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 surgeons or these 
or doctors that can help them. Is that kind of where is that kind of where your your passion came from? Is that am I am I on the right track there? You are. So now we have these intersections, right? So we have the intersections of lack of access to care. There's a lot of folks that live in communities that do not have access to hospitals, to physicians, to care that they need for their health needs. Then we have rising heat. We have climate change, and that's impacting some of these more vulnerable communities more than other communities. So we have these intersections now that are really putting certain communities at extreme risk. And climate change is classified by the World Health Organization as the most serious threat that we are facing globally. But we also know that some communities are more affected than other communities. Coincidentally, a lot of those same communities that are most affected are also affected by inadequate health equity, you know, or in or not having access to health justice. And so these vulnerable communities uh, are at this crossroads right now. And it's really, really important that we start to look at policies that we start to look at changes that we can implement. We need to educate the communities. We need to educate the legislators so that we can make changes that are going to make impacts right now. Man, that's so real. That that P word, policy, has came up time and time again with conversations I'm having with so many people. Mm-hmm. And, and with our conversation today, when I think about policy, you know, you said, you know, the WHO, climate change as one of the, one of the main things we need to focus on, but Dr. Johnson, it sounds to me, it feels like, yeah, that's what they're saying, but what are we, what are we doing? Like, are we, why are we, does it feel like we're taking that seriously? And what are some of those, when we, when we talk about policy, what are some things that people can do to really raise the awareness in their community and get those policies in place so we can really be coming up with more solutions? for climate change? That's a really great question, Corey. And you're right. We need to be doing a lot more action than than what we're doing. And a lot of times when people think of climate change, they think about the glaciers melting. They think about the polar bears, right? Now, as physicians and healthcare professionals, we have a really strong argument here because we're seeing the changes affect health right now. I know that asthma levels are higher, allergy levels are higher. Why is that? That's because we have longer uh, warm seasons because of the rising heat. We have these urban heat islands, meaning that we have places in the city where there's not shade. And so they can be 10, 15, 20 degrees warmer than other areas in the city. And they can be even warmer at night. So you can't sleep well at night if you're that hot, can you? So you can't get rest. And so if you can't get rest, then it leads to obesity and it leads to high blood pressure and other and other diseases. So we're seeing climate change make an impact right now. So if we as healthcare providers and healthcare professionals were to start educating, speaking with our patients, can you tell me a bit about your environment? We see that you have asthma. Let's see if we can find what are the factors causing that asthma. If we were to start talking to our legislators about rising heat with our student athletes, you know, with 
the the way that highways and factories are more likely to be built in lower income communities and how that is impacting the air pollution levels and the way that they are able to even breathe. If we start talking about these things, those are policies that we can make changes on very quickly. They are very, um, very direct. We can talk about factories, factory placement, highway placement, um, policies regarding our student athletes, pregnant women, our elderly children, these are all vulnerable populations. We can start to make some changes, but we have the onus on us to begin those conversations. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about how do we educate. They're beginning to talk about this in medical schools. There are now medical school curriculums that will address climate change. And then we need to take it to our patients and we need to take it to our legislators everyone needs to be hands-on so that we can make these changes because it's going to impact, not it's going to impact, it is impacting our mm -hmm. health right now. Yeah. And I, I was, when, when you talk about educating the patients and things like that, I was going to ask, are there, are there things you can say now? Are there, is this something that we can track? You know, like are, is there a form? Cause I know when, when people come in, see their provider, we at, we do height, weight, we go through this, you know, social determinants of health, kind, you know, form. And climate change should be on, or, or some question around climate change, not, you know, should be on there. But what does that, what does that look like? And, and how can we, how can we track that, that data? We don't have anything across the board now like we do for the social determinants of health, but there are people that are working in this space looking at the environmental determinants of health and talking to their patients about their risk, you know, um, gas stove versus electric stove, you know. Where do you live? Is it a is it a heat island or not? We have we have some tools available to us, some of them through the government, some of them through nonprofit agencies that can help you map out what your area and your community is exposed to. What's the air pollution in your zip code? What's the heat level in your zip code? And how does that impact your health and the health of your community? There are tools out there that we can that we can have access to to help us sort of quantify what's happening to us and what's happening to our patients. Yeah, no, that's real. When, you know, when we're, we're talking about climate change, you know, in, in the past, a lot of the conversations have been around, at least what I've had on the podcast have, you know, when it's hotter, you know, crops are these jobs that people are having, you know, they go away, which leads to homelessness and things like that, or, you know, the production of food lowers and all these different things around food and, and work. But what's not really talked about a lot, and you kind of brought it up earlier, is because of some of these these uh this impact can lead to you know a higher risk of chronic disease mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about about that i really would love to have that conversation about how is how is climate change really affecting the health of somebody when it mm -hmm. comes to diabetes high blood pressure obesity and and what can we do now to kind of really help with some of that yeah, you know, when we talk about these longer heat seasons and the higher heat levels that we're exposed to, farm workers, others that work outside are exposed to higher heat levels. And we know that 
increased heat impacts our cardiovascular function. It impacts how your heart works and how your lungs work. And so now we know that that is, that is a risk factor for cardiac disease, right? The increased heat levels. And if you think about the Pacific Northwest over the last couple of years and, you know, having these really high heat levels that they had never experienced before and what impact that had, we had higher heat strokes, et cetera. That's all related to the climate change. And then we have the wildfires and the pollutants that are we, that we are exposed to, that we are breathing in. Air pollution has been estimated to cost millions of preterm um, deaths, you know, and so we know that this is impacting people's lives. It's also impacting pregnancies and women going into preterm labor and having babies smaller than they normally would have um, because they're having difficulty with heat or their breathing or their cardiovascular system is impacted from air pollution. So these are very real impacts right now that we are seeing. And if we continue like this, we expect this only to worsen. And it's not just here in the U.S. This is a global threat. Mm-hmm. You know, So when we talk about high heat, we, we also have to connect that with drought and malnutrition as we think globally. And now we have scarcity of food. And that's going to impact the health of that um, that city or that nation. And so... We really, in the healthcare field, have one of the strongest arguments of why we need to talk about climate change and put policies in place right now, because we're seeing it on a daily basis in our patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there differences? So like within, you know, when we're talking about climate change in the states compared to how climate change is looked at in other parts of the world? What are some differences that you've noticed on how we're talking about it compared to how someone else is and what they're doing? You know, I think everyone is driven by what they're impacted by right now. You know, so in the Caribbean, the small islands, they talk about the sea level rise and they talk about the extreme weather, the hurricanes that they are exposed to. And that's a real threat. The fact that a a very large percentage of their their population lives near to the sea level and the sea level continues to rise um, and how that's going to impact their population as we move forward over the next few years. Here in the United States, I wish we had more uh, discussion about climate change. There's certainly more of a move over the last few years and we hope that that will continue. I also see the younger generations getting very involved in this space. Um, I know of several medical students and medical student organizations who are really leading as voices of why we should we should talk about climate change, we should educate about climate change and make changes right now. So that's really, really positive to see here in the United States. But yes, you know, when we think about other countries, some countries are further ahead than we are. You know, in the um, UK, they've done a lot looking at the healthcare system and its impact on climate change and carbon footprint and changing um, that carbon footprint and decreasing that carbon footprint. So they're ahead of us in the United States. We have a few hospital systems here in the United States that have achieved uh, carbon net zero. And we have many others who have signed on to pledges that they will work towards that over the next several decades. So we are making a move here and it's a move globally. Certainly some countries are ahead of others, um, but most countries are certainly on that on that road 
at least addressing it, beginning to address it. You know what? I had no idea until I started really looking into the impacts of climate change on health equity, that healthcare systems were some of the biggest culprits of this. And then when I take a step back and look at the healthcare or the, you know, where I work and seeing that we don't have, we didn't have a recycling program and all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I can see that. And that's just one little, you know, that's one little part of it that, oh my gosh, this is something that is, I, I can see it now. And what, so what are some of the, the big things when it comes to healthcare, why are our healthcare systems, why are they some of the biggest culprits of that carbon footprint and what can we do to help? Yeah, the, the healthcare system has a big impact globally, not just here in the U.S., globally. Here in the U.S., we're responsible for 8.5% of the carbon footprint. Globally, if healthcare as a field was a country, we'd be the fifth worst offender. So that gives Oof. you an idea of the impact that the healthcare system is having. And that's why many organizations have begun to look at it, like the National Academy of Medicine, JCO has begun to look at how we can decarbonize the healthcare system. And a lot of it has to do with supply, you know, how we how we get supply of equipment and medications, et cetera, into the, um, into the system, transportation of those medications and supplies, et cetera, things like anesthetic gases, how we uh, recycle or not recycle, how we dispose of waste um, is very important, how we use energy. Uh, you know, I'm a surgeon and I can tell you that the operating rooms, the heating, venting and air conditioning system works whether we have a patient in the operating room or not. It just goes continuously, you know, and what is the impact that that is having on our carbon footprint? So there are things that we can do. We can certainly move to more efficient lighting. Um, we can um, start to look at what anesthetic gases we are using. So we can use anesthetic gases that have less of a carbon footprint. Uh, we can certainly look at recycling, et cetera, but, and look at the supply chain. There's lots of, lots of ways that we can make an impact, and we need to right now because we're a place of healing. And so as a place of healing, we certainly want to lessen our carbon footprint so that healing can be better. No, absolutely. So um, I now understand how we can, you know, just through being more mindful of what we're doing and improving the climate, how it's affecting people, not only in the States, but around the world uh, and, and how it's different depending on where you're at in the world, uh, how, how heat affects your, your health, you know, all of that. And I, and I understand now that is a, a bigger deal than what we're probably give, giving it with, with your, can you to walk me through you know, when you signed on to really take a, a step towards looking at global health equity, what were some of the things that stood out to you? Like why, like that you didn't know and how have you kind of changed how you do things to, to play a role in improving? I, I didn't know that there was such a need. Let me start with that. You know, so I mentioned uh, volunteering after the hurricane I didn't know that there were so many areas without access to healthcare. 
And that disturbed me and it, it should disturb most of us or all of us. It should disturb us because everyone should be able to get the health care that they need when they need it. And so as I started to look into that and realizing that this is a global issue, it means that you can't stay still. You have to get involved. Um, I was very fortunate to begin working with the Satcher Health Leadership Institute, which is our health policy arm uh, founded by Dr. David Satcher, the 60th U.S. Surgeon General. And uh, we look at how we can improve equity using policies um, and education, et cetera. So I was very fortunate to start to become really involved in that space. So in addition to being involved with my patients one-on-one, -on -one, now being involved in the policy and public health space allows you to reach even more people at once. And so that was very appealing to me and why I began really working in that area. And then as we talk about climate change, and I really didn't know how big an issue climate change was until I began a fellowship with the Medical Society Consortium of Climate Change and Health and the National Medical Association. That fellowship was on climate change and health equity. It's one of very few in the country that look at that intersection. And that's the intersection where I wanted to be because I was interested not only in climate change and health, but especially climate change and some of the more vulnerable com communities and how we can impact those communities, how we can help them to mitigate what's going on and to adapt. You know, when we have heat, um, when we have heat rise, not everybody is able to turn on an AC. They may not have that. When we have um, disasters that strike, some may not have the resources to relocate. And so we need policies in place that can help everybody to improve their health and their safety. And so when uh, that fellowship opened up, I was very happy to get involved. And I will tell you, Corey, I thought I knew about climate change and I learned so much <laughs> in that fellowship. There's so much to be learned, um, but that really helped me move down this road um, so that I can speak on it, get out into the community and start to talk about policies. Yes. And it comes back to policy. You know, it all, it all comes back to policy. And, and I went through this thing, Dr. Johnson, where for some reason in my brain, I, I connected politics and policy together. And I was like, I want nothing to do with it. And the, the deeper I get into these conversations around public health, health equity, and social determinants of health, realizing they're Politics can stay on the side, but policy is important to protect the community. Yeah. And now under, you're like the, the 16th person to bring up policy. <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> I need to focus on policy <laughs> a little bit more because it's, it's so important. And that leads to my next question and my last question. And I'll get you going. Understanding that policy is important what can we, what are some good ways to get the communities that are most vulnerable that may be impacted? And you know, we talked about how highways are getting built through these underserved communities mm -hmm. and they ha they do have a lot to say, and but they, they don't know that, Hey, you can make an impact through policy. Mm -hmm. What would you say to some of these communities? What can they do to 
let their voice be louder to have some of these policies changed? That's a great question. Um, many people feel that way. You know, how, how do I get my voice out? You get your voice out through your community. You get your voice out through knowing who your representatives are. We are sending people to represent us at the local level, at the city level, the state level, and nationally. Those people need to know what's important to you. So you need to know who they are, and they need to know who you are and what's important in your community. And then our community organizations play a very strong role in the health of our community. And I'm talking about our churches, our civic organizations, our nonprofits, and you have a strong voice. So working with your community organizations to increase awareness, increase education is very, very important. And you also have the ear of your representatives that route as well. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, we always say grassroots, grassroots really works, you know, so there's a lot of things that you can do to begin to get your voice out there. And the more you speak, the more others hear and others may join you. And that's a stronger voice. But start with your community, represent your community, um, your community organizations and with your representatives and move that that needle along. Awesome. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciated it. For um, anybody listening that wants to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you? So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, as SM Johnson, and Twitter as SM Johnson MD. So please do reach out to me. I'd love to connect um, and further the conversation. And thanks for having me on, Corey. It's been a great conversation. Yes, no problem. And I'll make sure I have those links in the description of this podcast episode. So it'll make it easier for everybody to reach out to you. But again, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being on the podcast and everybody. Thank you for listening. I'll holler at you next time.